Kia ora and welcome to 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. This is episode 26, the final of our six interviews from this year's InterIA In-Situ Conference. In this episode, we talk to Wolfram Putz, who is the founding director, a founding director of Graft, an architectural firm established in LA, but is now has offices in Berlin and Beijing. Their work spans across architecture, but also includes urban design, research and installations. Wolfram's talk was equally diverse, touching on a number of projects including art installations for Brad Pitt in New Orleans and pop-up kiosks bringing power to towns in Africa. So thank you very much for joining us here today. Um, I thought I'd get a really important question out first, which was, um, you're a sailor. Um, Because <laughs> I've grown up in Auckland, so yeah. I'm um, very yeah, much yeah. a sailor and, and um, enjoy the Harrogate Golf. You, 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 mentioned sailing yesterday but you didn't go into it much you sailed no much. i didn't i'm now as we say back home i'm sitting on the dry i'm just sailing on lakes right now yeah. and uh, it's a kind of a glacial sort of lake district uh, around berlin complicated sailing district lots of forest cover you got to really I mean, it was much easier to sail on the baltic <laughs> and um and so yeah, we grew up with it. I also did a lot of sea kayaking, uh, that kind of uh, stuff. And now I have an old mahogany dinghy, I think yeah, you say, yeah. just a, a yolle, we call it. it it's an it's a Olympic race boat from the 36 Olympics, oh, the right. Nazi wow. Olympics, but the boat's sure. innocent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, and um, yeah, it's a lot of work to, to maintain. Yeah. And, oh. uh, and um, so, yeah, I'm, when I'm back, um, I'm, I'm taking out a winter quarter and, and putting it back on the the lake hopefully everything is frozen right now where yeah. where we live but okay. uh, yeah no sailing is, is, is when I was uh, my first job after after um, university was with the largest corporate firm um, and they have an old three master bark I think uh-huh. you say yeah. uh, it, it's actually is the ship that always ran in the Beck's beer commercials oh, yeah. and uh, so they were going through the office, they had a couple of hundred employees at the time and everybody who had a sailing background was kind of uh, allowed to just, you know, get an extra days off to sail oh, to right. sail the ship. And as my other background is mountaineering, you know, that old style sailing, climbing yeah. climbing up, uh, that was a perfect combination for me. Oh, very good. Yeah. Oh, welcome. Hopefully you get a chance to get out in the water here. Yeah, we're leaving on Sunday for the Southern Islands okay. to look at the mountains. So oh, I've, okay. I've been surfing the last week in Karikari, and then uh, oh. that's another thing I picked up on the waterfront, and then uh, from the LA office, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. startup times. And uh, yeah, so now now it's up to. to I want to come back and climb Cook, you know, oh, really? eventually. So yeah. that's on my bucket list. And uh, oh, this time I have family with me, can't do it. <laughs> I think a lot of you know a lot of architects are attracted to sailing. You know, there's this oh, geometry, yes. there's, you know, connection to elements, all of these things that we yeah. often talk about in our buildings yes. and sailing is a really good way to connect with a lot of those. Also, the software-based uh, um, design of uh, boats and sails at the moment okay. is really, I think, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fascination. Greg Lynn, you know, yeah. a friend of ours from LA Times, teacher, he, I'm sure you know then, he designed his own boat. Oh, right. And uh, that was a process to really, and he has, of course, an architecture crew, uh, kind yeah. of friends and uh, from Britain, and I've never sailed a boat. We haven't really been in touch since I'm back in Berlin, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, America's Cup is of course something that uh, yeah, we all saw want. Those, you need to I want back. to, of course, <laughs> the New Zealand. We saw those slides it. yesterday in um, yes. Sadie's presentation. Yes. You know, yeah, that, amazing that, machines. That must mm. make you proud. Yeah, that unfortunately is something that, of course, I think the Germans sailing scene is not so much there's not the same amount of money and, and, and passion, I think, involved to, to make it to that level mm. of uh, competition, but there's enough going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, this little diversion reminds me of your talk yesterday when you didn't you didn't really talk much about buildings. You talked about things around buildings and and the sort of became really apparent the breadth of what you do. And I, I wondered whether um, buildings were a byproduct of the things you're interested in, or whether those things, whether architecture should encompass all those things. I was. Yeah, I was dwelling on that on that uh, decision f- after we had the speaker's dinner, uh, invitation dinner, or beginners, uh, beginning of the conference, and I had a bunch of conversations with Tim Melvin and all these things, and what's going on in Auckland, the housing crisis, and so a lot of also the, um, not only talking about beauty or concept and uh, meaning and space, but really about the, you know, the conditioning around our profession right now, particularly in places like here or Berlin, and so I thought, yeah, let's go. Then you know, people can look at our buildings online. You know, but I can't. You know, I, I'm not having the time to write in English. You know, about all these things that I think about. So let's uh, maybe shift the discussion a little bit and just use buildings as uh, as some sort of uh, contextual imagery background because politics are of you know Rainer de Graaf's uh, kind of uh, uh, lecture also showed a little bit. There is a lot of uh, um, coming up for architects to solve and to, to place yeah. themselves, I think, with, 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 you know, with their own sort of genius Loki interpretation mm-hmm. that is not only physical in a new sort of idea of professionalism. And so I thought that would be interesting. And I've, I always like to talk about, which I'm really proud of that we have a big office, but everybody is committed not to, you know, everybody comes to us who wants to use Rhino, do really crazy work, mm. um, debate, let's say, um, between that sort of, German discussion in which style should we build? We're still stuck with Adolf Loos in that mm-hmm. sense, yeah. Yeah. And um, but on the other hand, they all are imp- they all are willing to that we are taking a portion of our um, profit and investing it in all these social projects. And yeah, I think yeah. this is uh, this is actually a very that interesting crowd who applies and stays with us. Mm. And so I think that's always important to me to 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 say we are. We are grown-up st- architecture students now, yeah, but yeah. we still share that kind of dream and believe that our office is just an instrument for life. For changing know. the world. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, we spend so much time in it, so it needs to really encompass all of what we are, want to do and want to, and, and, and so it's really just an, a, a tool, you know, a tool to do things, and it's not something in itself. And I found the, the setup of the speakers here and also a lot of the host hosting architects and New Zealanders that I find, I find them refreshingly also different from that sort of very brainy, sometimes LA or Berlin um, panel discussion mm-hmm. thing in Berlin. It's all about right and wrong on the morality of the facade and people talk about the width of the window, you know, it's like about <laughs> it's about centimeter difference. Like, and you in this camp, or no, I'm you in this camp. And in LA, it's like, I, I, don't, I don't even get it sometimes. <laughs> so it's architect. Yeah, yeah. not architecture yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think uh, an, that, that as a profession we have an obligation to make more social change? Yeah, I think so. If you look at global warming and the carbon footprint, I mean, you know, the usual suspects would always be mobility or large-scale mm-hmm. industry, and it's really the, the the real estate industry is the largest contributor to it, forty something percent, depending on which statistics. Mm-hmm. Mobility, so transportation, all these things is twenty one percent, similar with. Um, you know, energy, energy consumption, etc., of high-level industries, and um, so I think we are a contributor, and um, but therefore we also, you know, we are the guys, 
you know, we can we can turn, as we said, we can turn the the knobs a yeah. little bit, and um, and therefore, yeah, we have an obligation because we are also, how do you say that in English? Um, um, we need to write what we do wrong, you know, in, yeah. in a mm-hmm. sense, and our, and the scaling factors of what we do are actually quite underestimated by our profession, and uh, mm. that is one thing. And then, of course, um, the. Uh, if you get educated in Central Europe, particularly in German-speaking countries, there's only one heritage that we're still proud of, which is the Bauhaus, 100 years mm. this year. So there's a lot of re- refreshing that memory and a lot of uh, calling back um, those ambitions. And you know, because after that was Nazi Germany mm. with pitch roofs mm. and uh, some weird Germanic heritage discussions and so forth. So, and that is still also part of our DNA, I think, in the, in, in our German schooling. And uh, that uh, the 20th century promise hasn't really been fulfilled yet. And it's kind of funny that Reine de Graaf brings up a Karl Marx quote yesterday mm. at the public lecture. You know, we lived under a regime also that you know was taking Karl as as their sort of token boy. Yeah. So yeah. That, that that didn't, I mean, at least the way that was done, it didn't prove, you know, to mm. work out either. So it's an interesting discussion. I think, yes, we do. I have a little problem with that kind of Germanic sense of duty and obligation. So I don't like that word. I'd like to, you know, maybe encourage people, you know, let's, let's be enthusiastic about it. That can be also fun and fulfilling, yeah. you know. It is part of being a family man, and if you see our society as our largest family, you know that is yep. not something that you. I mean, once you pass puberty, that shouldn't be an obligation anymore. You know, yeah. it's something that you feel naturally uh, encompassed and entitled, also, and uh, and yeah, somehow also um, naturally <coughs> attracted towards to you, do. I think you quite liked. I'm going to say breaking the rules, but you quite liked bending the rules and finding gaps in the rules and yeah. and exploiting those and having fun with those. Is that is that part of that sort of obligation as well? You yeah, I mean, it started by it started in the beginning because we came out of school and had so many formal ambitions. Mm. You know, the digital, digital revolution had just happened. All the tooling changed. Suddenly, there was a field of architecture that are forefathers or teachers weren't able to do anymore and so that was an interesting possibility to break away from you know the um, the, the silverbacks on which or the giants on whose shoulders you, you were supposed to stand and uh, and um, but society and code books and all these things were not ready you know and, and the taste culture and the, and the discussions uh, were not ready so we we the first rule sets um, that we learned about and we tried to bend what, what were the code books you know and, mm. and try to find ways of saying no we can protr-. there was a code for example in the German Berlin facade system you could protru- have a, a third of the facade protrude out for one meter fifty mm-hmm. That was just meant to, you know, the sort of classic neoclassical sort of 19th century housing with the bay windows, and, yeah. but bay windows translated into a six-story thing. <laughs> and we said, oh, great. Nobody says that it needs to be just one big move. It could be and centralized to the facade. You can do a lot of things, and suddenly you can create relief undulations and all these sort of patterning sort of language that was, you know, um, everybody fancied himself with in the end 90s, beginning of the turn of the century. So this was the first time where we said, let's get and in, be inventive with rules. And then, of course, um, the, we also then we got educated in a way, saying you come out of the client, you come out of school, and the client is your enemy. 
have mm -hmm. all these great dreams and he doesn't or she doesn't understand it and you know and then we learned about Excel sheets yeah? and then we understood how, how you know we went to the banks and understood how, how, how does it really work how does a real estate business work and how can you um, convince and do something good without requiring somebody to invest more money than they want to and mm, for example yeah. one of the things yeah. was that that big settlement outside Berlin in Potsdam with these wooden plus energy houses that are now come with electric cars attached to them and uh, nobody wanted actually to invest in this heavy <coughs> uh, technology because it has a return of invest of 15 years normally at the moment uh, and so we said well let's uh, you don't have to invest we don't have to invent anything we just buy you know we just buy 20 cars bulk you we you sell advertising and marketing rights as a company we do all these kind of things for you you know here's the store we actually build a website that you know gives you some sort of marketing um, track and so forth and eventually you know you start to to not bend the rules but but bring the rules around into your favor by penetrating deeper into sort of the dynamics of of the architecture process that begins before you know mm. it lands, lands in the architecture contract and you know continues on after it leaves our office and that also helped us to really um, to really um, get further than we otherwise um, would have you know when we just wait there for somebody that mm. you know that is uh, generous enough to let us do what we want to do uh, show up at the doorstep and the third set of rules that we're now only um, getting into and this is unfortunately something that we have a harder time to do in LA and pretty much no possibility to do in our Beijing office is politics because and it really has to do with with your possibility to belong to a place and uh, as Germans in LA, yes, we are on panels, we have our mm. architecture friends, all these kind of things, but uh, once it comes to to power and uh, to the people who to hold the mana, I think they say. Yeah, yeah. the um, excellent use of the word. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that is a different thing, but I hold mana in my hometown, and yeah. Yeah, in my home district, and I can have it also in the federal capital. Um, and um, there's such different political context you're yes. talking about from LA to Beijing. Yes. But luckily right now we are taking our Berlin context, we're good friends with the mayor and very involved there and um, also now having had the Biennale um, mm -hmm. Commission that is at the federal level, first time I had a contract with the German Eagle on front. And <laughs> And you know, when the state secretary comes to the office every month and checks on the progress and says, "Well, you know, walls. Do you talk about the walls in Israel? We don't want that." Right. <laughs> or are you nice to them? Just you know, talk about the good Ger walls. German yeah. German politics. That's a taboo. Um, and then, but now that you know, LA and Berlin, sister city, was kind of a dormant phenomenon for decades. But now with Trump, LA is looking for other allies internationally. The mm. mayors of big areas, and mm. so Berlin. And, and, and Garcetti and our Mr. Müller, <laughs> typical German mm. name, um, are kind of getting closer to do some things together, and that's that's happening. But that's fun. That's in the beginning. I'm I'm also kind of a little shy on that. That's we have a Berlin is typically a very um, complicated political setup because it was a divided city, and there's mm. still, still districts that are voting communist, mm. not because they are communist, but because they are feeling disenfranchised, disconnected, left over, left behind. And so um, treading those, um, those areas is a little complicated. And then you have a very young immigrant, immigration crowd, 20-25% of the people who move to Berlin come for partying. 
Yeah. And uh, you know, it is a big party place. 100,000 yeah. jobs are supposedly created within the club scene and it's sort of... Uh, is that right? Well, wow. plus bars and suppliers yeah. and all these kind of yeah. things. So it's an economic factor and this, this is also a city society that you have to deal with. Now we have a couple hundred thousand new immigrants from traumatized, not welcomed by half the city, mm -hmm. welcomed by the other half. So it's yeah. an interesting um, set of rules that I haven't understood yet and I haven't understood how to play it. I only mentioned yesterday, it was interesting, we really worked with one of these, uh, interesting enough, it's a little bit, Berlin is a little bit like DC, it's a city but it's also a state. Um, so you can talk to the mayor of this district but then there's a mayor also, a governor mayor sort of above mm -hmm. it and they not necessarily from the same party and so it's all a little complicated and we, <coughs> we really had worked on this wooden high-rise project for many years now to rewrite the building code. We had a federal grant to rewrite the building code because high-rise, wooden high-rise are not allowed. We had to, you know, form a coalition with the fire department because they yeah. say, yeah, you know, we like wooden houses much better than steel high-rises. <laughs> you know, wooden high-rises, if they're dimensioned right, they don't burn down. Yeah. The steel high-rise collapse, look at the World Trade Center. Yeah. And, uh, and then this guy died. He had cancer rapidly passed away and so democracy in that way is complicated now it starts all from yeah from the beginning but that's the third set of rules that we are really I think exploring so first of all the legal framework of our profession then the economical laws that govern our planet since the beginning of mm. recorded times most likely no matter what you trade with it's kind of the haves and haves not now it's called capitalism yeah. um, and uh, and now yeah the power the power, how to write those rules, that's interesting. One of the, the examples that you talked about yesterday about um, breaking the rules really stuck with me, which was the Pink Project, mm -hmm. which was client comes to you and says, want to spend $2 million building some houses. You say, no, we're going to build a $2 million art installation, <laughs> which feels like the ultimate sort of architects putting the brief aside and just doing something else. How do you have that conversation with people? How, you know, how does that go? Well, it wasn't hard because it was also his idea. It took a bunch of beers you know, <laughs> to drink. <laughs> he actually, have to say, was the one who came to us and said, I wanna, I'm ashamed of George W. Bush policy towards uh, Katrina, and particularly uh -huh. all the money he puts into the Bible uh, districts, but not into the Sin City, New Orleans. And yep. uh, So because he had been shooting movies there, he said, I feel a strong connection to the place. Let's do something there. Yeah. And yep. so I, 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 I bring my name, you bring, you bring your sweat. And uh, we met in his garage and just had a bunch of beers and, uh, and then uh, those pink houses, really that one idea that came from him with there was really about if you have out, you know, blue screen, green screen in, yeah. in movie shooting, if you are in the outside um, world there, you can't use blue and, and so they use pink screen. So he had, had just come back from a movie shoot where he had, they built this abstract volume in pink outside somewhere in, in, in the nature and he said, oh, you know, imagine we would do some sort of toy city bringing, this is so telegenic or how do you, how do you yeah, say yeah. it? And then, you know, we'll bring opera and all these things and I give interviews and then we waste money and do it. And so we said, yeah, but it's a gamble, you know. We yeah. did, we, but, and we got lucky um, at the time because that was the time also when Obama did his campaign, uh -huh. his first for the first election and he was really creating that online tool for small donations. Yep. Um, which first of all 
really scaled up nicely in terms of uh, creating a decent amount of money and secondly also created a totally different credibility than the super PACs do in, in American mm -hmm. politics. And we were allowed to copy that and copy that software also. And um, yeah, but nobody knew if that would work out. Yeah, so it was, uh, we, we had timed it right. Then of course, there was a lot of pull that Brad created um, with uh, with TV people that we would have never, yeah. um, you know, been able to get otherwise just because we had a beautiful looking idea. Yeah. And then the biggest risk at the time was that if there would have been a real big problem in Afghanistan or in Iraq covering the the headlines in the American newspapers uh, cycles at that in those six weeks, we like would have drama. not made any front cover. Yeah. We would have not, you know, it would have not worked out and. Luckily, nothing bad happened, and we made all the covers, and uh, the donations started to flow in, and it was it was over Christmas time, so it became the biggest drive-by sort of Christmas parade sort of thing for families in Louisiana. You know, they they go and see the lights. Yeah, Normally, yeah, yeah. how the yeah. houses are decorated, and this time they went and saw the lights of the Pink City because yeah. it was illuminated at night, and so it was it was. Uh, and of course, the governor, the the mayor, all these kind of people supported that. And also, Brad had just bought a house in New Orleans just around the time became a citizen. We all know that he didn't spend, you know, most of the year there. But he, so a lot of these things worked together, and uh, yeah, from two million to seven million, that worked out. But it is nonprofits. I have to say, are and, and, and as we discussed yesterday, they you just need to constant, constantly you need to feed them. And that after 10 years, we rotated out of the board of, uh, of that nonprofit and started others and uh, made sure that next time we'll, we'll, we'll try to, to bring organizations or ideas maybe through a nonprofit or non profitable phase into a phase where they somehow um, can survive themselves. And the solar cues at the moment is at that threshold. You know, it's re it's really about not bringing a lot of return mm. for the investors. Yeah. Just we put a cap on that, so it can pay out a little bit on the shareholders maybe in the future. But it's 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 kind of mandatory that most of it is, is cyclic money yeah. that scales up the business. Yeah. But we call it, you know, while there's such a non-profit market, we didn't want to call it, of course, for-profit models. So we call it the for-purpose office. Yeah. For <laughs> nice. Yeah. For-purpose for company. Yeah. Nice. We should probably wrap up. Yeah, we've got one question that we're yeah. asking all of our um, interviewees here at the conference, which is, um, why do clients come to you? Oh, you go, you need to go to clients. You, clients don't come to you. Only maybe Rainer de Graaf and my young song probably have clients that come to them. But um, it is really. Don't hang out with architects, hang out with clients. Uh -huh. um, everybody that you meet is a potential client. Uh -huh. Be accessible, be nice, be a good uh, good bugger, as Dave Strachan said yesterday. Yeah. Keep, you need to be likable, I think. Uh, um, don't be a diva. Uh, that's our recipe. And be interested, get involved. Uh, and. Um, and then maybe eventually you come become one of those 100 offices or 1,000 offices worldwide that people call up. Yeah. Yeah. Publications, talking to people like you, that's the biggest tool for us yeah. also. I don't yeah. know how it is in New Zealand, but in Germany it's forbidden for architects to advertise. Yeah. Um, like doctors and lawyers, our mm -hmm. country says that that's a, that's a service profession controlled by state exams and so forth. You know, only because a big office could advertise um, better yeah, than small yeah. offices, that's not something we want to allow. And so um, bringing the message out is something that uh, 
is important and because we had Brad as our first client and as a friend, repeat client, that brought, you know, our message out in the beginning very well. Because mm -hmm. everybody works hard in architecture, we're all underpaid for the work we do. Um, everybody has an ambition, nobody does that because it's a nine to five job and uh, yeah. you have some social calling, you have a sense of beauty and uh, um, and lots of, m so many more architects are talented than, and then, than are successful and so it's really also about playing that piano. Right? Yeah, okay, very good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your Thanks time for and for your interest. Yeah. So the thing that really struck me about Wolfram's talk and our interview with him was this social focus, this idea that actually the, the firm um, is interested in social stories and um, social betterment, I guess, that that's allowed them to pursue a much wider range of work than you might expect from an architecture firm. And uh, sometimes they use conventional architecture to achieve that, but not right. every time. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, you know, it's, to me it was quite inspiring in that it was architects bringing their skills to um, problems without necessarily having architecture or construction as a predetermined outcome. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the idea that um, they had with uh, Brad Pitt about using money to raise money rather than build buildings um, is kind of you know, counter to what an architect might do. Usually a client comes to you and says, I've got $3 to build buildings, you design a building. Mm -hmm. But they, uh, they, because they see their, I think their role in society is much broader than, than building makers, um, they are able to engage with the problem much in, um, in different ways, which I thought was absolutely great. Um, I think that too, that you talked a lot about breaking the rules and about finding um, avenues to, to solve a problem in a new way. And I think that kind of, um, that resonates with that too. Mm. They're, they're lateral thinkers rather than sort of, than architects as we might imagine them. It sounds really refreshing in a world in which it can be argued that the role of the architect has become narrower in the last couple of decades. Absolutely. It sort of felt like the sort of thing um, you imagined you'd be doing when you're in architecture school. Right. Okay. Yeah. And he talks about how the differences between like LA and Berlin, where he said there'd be this panel discussion in Berlin where they're rigorously talking about proportionality and module and rhythm and how kind of, I mean, these are my words, but how stultifying that can be compared to um, other contexts where it's much, much looser. And he seemed to really relish the chance to operate in that looser kind of context, work in that kind of context. Mm. He also has, there's this feeling of patience in that um, there's no rush to reach a conclusion. So he, in his talk he talked about some people living on an island in Berlin and the kind of, he sort of wrapped that up saying, yeah, we're just waiting for that to happen. You know, there's there's a, um, in many respects, his, his role, he doesn't, see his role as starting and finishing a project, it's it's about making it better along the way. So any bit of making it better is equally satisfying, I imagine, than, mm. than the completion of a project. Um, and look, he, that might have just been his view um, within the practice. They obviously produce a massive amount of work, but there's this real sort of long-term view of how you do things. Um, the solar kiosks were another example where started with this idea of bringing, um, I guess, um, useful power uh, to, the, 
to people in Africa, instead of the uh, people using car batteries to charge their phones, they designed a kiosk which had solar power on it, and those and they made one and they distributed that. Now they've made many, and they're sitting out there. And when they all collect together, they make a little grid, a little piece of infrastructure um, for the you know, towns in Africa. I mean, it's quite sounds fantastic. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I think another kind of aspect here is we. we we often think, we often talk about people's creativity. We talk about it here at home, we talk about it in people we meet and architects we meet. But fundamentally, if there's a theme that threads amongst the, the six people we, we spoke to, and even beyond that, the people who spoke at conference, they each, they all have something important to say, and they're very good and practiced at how, how to say it and how to compel people. So the story from graft about you know i want i've got three million dollars i'd like three million dollars worth of building the ability to say i actually think we can get you to seven million dollars worth of building by not making a building and convincing his client to do that this is a communication and fundamentally sales skill that uh, has an aspect of creativity to it because you've got to still got to have that idea to sell but they, all of those speakers were exceptionally good at getting across whatever it was that drove and compelled them and passing that on to their clients. And I think Wolfram was, was very much like that. It's quite, I'm, as interest, I'm more interested in the feat of convincing someone to shift direction and take a gamble than I almost am in the outcome or, the, or the, mm. the art installation that he designed or that any of the speakers do. Because they're all in the business of... Um, it's one thing for us or for them to think big, but they're in the business of convincing other people that it's worth thinking bigger and putting significant sums of money on the line to do so sometimes, which I think is super impressive. Mm. It must be nice after, I mean, it hasn't been a short road. It's the yeah. 80s they established a firm, but you know, I suspect people thinking of looking for someone who can think outside the box in terms of a design solution, uh, which may or may not involve architecture. Imagine having those people knocking on your door each day. It must attract a great variety and, and sort of slice of clients. Mm. Um, yeah, pretty um, exciting every day. And, and he had interesting stuff to say about clients because we asked all of our guests, you know, uh, why do your clients choose you? And many of them said, well, you know, you'd actually have to ask our clients. But, but Wolfram elaborated on, and I loved it, he was saying, you know, spend time with clients everyone is a potential client you know and and i think that that reveals the the way he's looking at it does and i don't mean that in a commercial or hustly kind of way i think it's that it's about seeing that opportunity there and you don't have no one someone doesn't have to give you money to be a client they might just be a mind to be changed or a place for a really good idea to take root you know that's a beautiful conclusion actually Thank you. Um, I hope it was worth the pain of all our wrap-up se- all our wrap-up sessions. So should we leave <laughs> it there for our um, in situ season? Thank you. It's been great. We hope you've enjoyed the six um, speakers that we've talked to. Next next conference, let's try and talk to them all. Um, <laughs> shoot for the stars. Um, we may have to team up with Jade to divide the work. Um, thanks very much for listening. Thanks finally for the to the NZIA for, for supporting us and arranging all of these. And we'll be back with our next as yet undecided episode shortly. Or not shortly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank Kakite. Thank you.